This is Law in the Time of COVID-19. I'm Adam Goldenberg. Sobbing children and cybercrime. On this episode, I'll speak to two of my colleagues, one of them a leading commercial litigator and the other an expert in cybersecurity law, about the rules and real-life ups and downs of working from home during a pandemic. Law in the Time of COVID-19 is brought to you by McCarthy Tatro. We're exploring the law and policy of pandemic response and looking at how governments, organizations, and individuals are managing the impact and meeting the moment. This episode explores a topic of interest to everyone, not just lawyers. Although it may contain legal information, it does not provide legal advice. But if you are a lawyer, good news. You may be entitled to CPD credit for listening to this episode. Check our website for details. Here's episode 10, Family Time All the Time. I have a confession to make. I'm one of those people for whom the COVID-19 shutdown really hasn't been that bad. I'm lucky enough to have a job that I can do from home, and I like doing it from home. Patio season hasn't started yet here in Toronto, and honestly, it's kind of nice not to need an excuse to spend Saturday evening on the couch binge-watching the entirety of Tiger King in a single sitting. I'm speaking purely hypothetically on that last point, of course. But for anyone who has caregiving responsibilities, for younger children, or for relatives who need support, or anyone who has a job that they can't do from home or at all these days, these have been a tough couple of weeks. They aren't getting any easier either. On episode 9, I spoke to Malcolm Mercer, a McCarthy Tatro litigator who leads the Law Society of Ontario. That's the regulator of the legal profession in our province. We talked about the challenges that lawyers can face when it comes to protecting confidentiality and preserving solicitor-client privilege and preventing fraud all while working from home. And we discussed how lawyers can use technology to do remotely what, until a few weeks ago, we almost always did in person. But that technology comes with challenges of its own. According to a recent study by Atlas VPN, a company that provides virtual private networks, or VPNs, the number of active websites used for phishing, that's phishing with a PH, increased by 350% between January and March of this year. Phishing is when a fraudster emails you, calls you, or texts you, posing as a legitimate organization or institution, and tries to trick you into handing over sensitive information like your passwords or your credit card number. In March alone, the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre reported receiving 75 complaints related to coronavirus scams, and at least 13 Canadians had fallen prey to those scammers so far. According to a report from the CBC, based on data from the UK's Action Fraud Network, Britons had lost nearly a million pounds to COVID-19-related scams by the end of March. Organizations are operating with little to no support staff. IT departments are overwhelmed, and everyone is doing everything electronically. The COVID-19 shutdown has created a breeding ground for cybercrime, as those of us who are logging in from home are enticed to open purportedly urgent emails from our bosses, or to respond to texts from fraudsters promising important information from the government about COVID-19. Businesses and their employees, not just lawyers, have obligations to protect private information, even during a pandemic. But when you've got kids running around and scarcely any personal space, let alone peace and quiet, is that even possible? To find out, 
I spoke with my colleagues Jillian Kerr and Michael Sherman. Jillian is a partner in McCarthy Tatro's litigation group in Toronto. Mike is an associate in our firm's technology law group in Toronto, but wait for it, he lives in Saskatoon. I spoke to Jillian and Mike about the rules and the reality of working from home. Jillian, Mike, thank you both for joining me. Our pleasure. Yeah, happy to join. So we're all speaking to each other from far removed places. We are not in the office and we've been out of the office for a couple of weeks now. I'm interested to hear from both of you. What has been the highlight or the low light of your work from home experience during this couple of week period? Let me start with you, Jillian. I have one of each. I have a highlight and a low light. So <laughs> Um, my low light was when I was on a conference call, um, my door was shut and my five-year-old daughter came in beaming with pride. And I, I asked the person with whom I was on a conference call to just hold on a moment. I put her on mute and turned what I thought was in a very kind voice to my daughter and said, honey, you know, when I'm in my office with the, with the door shut, that means you shouldn't come in. And her beaming pride turned within two seconds to a huge frown and then burst in tears. I hadn't realized that she'd come in uh, with some art she had made to decorate my office in case I had felt sad while she was downstairs playing with daddy that I was up in the office working. And so, um, you know, we we had a hug. Now my office wall (laughs) is plastered with her art. And so I realized that I had to be more sensitive than I had thought I was already being and conveying the mummy is working message. So that was was low, but it's been productive since. And the high was when um, seeing basically how the work from home can seep in positively, or maybe some would say take it differently, but positively to my kids' world. So I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old, and they were having a dispute. And my three-year-old had said to my daughter, they didn't know I was listening, um, said to my daughter, but my, he points to a stuffy dinosaur and says, but uh, dinosaur is the judge. And he says that I'm right. And then my five-year-old turned to him and said and pointed to three of her stuffies and she said but I have the three judges who get to beat what the one judge says so I win and like it was very it was interesting wow. to hear them um yeah digest the appellate court process so they're ready they're, they're they're ready for second year law school I mean if they've already got it down to that level of specificity that's that's high level procedure right there that's right, right that's that- right that's a pretty good. That's a pretty good standard that uh, Jillian has set for us, Mike. Can can you top it or or whatever the opposite oh. of top it is for the low light? <laughs> uh, I, I'm I'm not sure if I can top it, but my, mine's some somewhat along the same lines. Is just uh, you know being forced to work from home and having all social uh, opportunities removed from the tables really forced a lot of family time, which has been great. We were sort of lying in bed the other morning, and and I asked my three or five year old daughter whether she, she liked not going to school or, or how she thought things were going. And she said she, she loved it so much because she can just, in, anytime she wants during the day, pop in and give mommy a hug. So, so that was a, a high point. Uh, oh. the, the low point was she, she never mentioned anything about daddy. So I'm, I'm still sort of investigating <laughs> why that is. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, thank you both for taking the time to chat with us about the ins and outs of of working from home. This is something that lawyers across the country, many of whom for the first time are dealing with, and that people generally are figuring out how to do if they're lucky enough to have a job that they can continue to do remotely. I want to get into some of the practicalities of this, though, because as lawyers, we deal with a lot of confidential and privileged information on a daily basis, and our clients expect us to keep their secrets secure for them 
And that has not changed despite the fact that we're no longer in the office. So Mike, given your your expertise in cybersecurity and privacy law, could you frame for us what the rules are, what the best practices are for organizations and employees, and then how exactly those actually get implemented on the ground? Yeah, absolutely. And and cybersecurity is definitely a, a touchy point these days because cyber criminals are unfortunately using the, the COVID and coronavirus pandemic to wreak havoc on, on organizations. And organizations are, are particularly vulnerable as our employees right now due to, you know, increased anxiety by people, lots of new remote workers, systems being stretched uh, sort of beyond what they're, they're normally able to handle. So all of this does increase the risk of, of cyber attacks, and it's definitely something we need to be mindful of. And, and I think the first advice I'd give is just make sure, make sure everyone's mindful of it. Employees should, should always try to keep their spotty senses up and, and tingling. Every time you get an email, every time you get, uh, you know, get sent a link before you click it. I mean, it's always best practices to, to look for anything suspicious and, and do your due diligence before, you know, responding to emails, clicking on links, et cetera. But that, that advice is sort of truer now than it has ever been. And from an employer perspective and, and for organizations, there's definitely a lot you can do. One, just making sure you have remote working policies and controls in place. There's a whole lot you can do with your IT professionals to, to make sure that your organization's ensuring cybersecurity best practices during this time and making sure that those get communicated to your employees. Refresh or train for your employees, policies you know being sent to your employees, important points being brought up to them. Obviously, the employees can't comply with something they don't know about. And from the employee standpoint, some of these best practices sound good and they make perfectly fine sense. But when it actually comes to Monday morning and you're in the home office, if you have one, or at the dining room table if you don't, or on the couch if you don't have a dining room table, and you've got a kid on one side and a spouse on the other and someone wants to watch TV and someone needs their art project looked at and somebody needs help with their math homework, it can become really difficult, I assume, I don't have kids or a spouse, to implement any of these uh, important policies. What are the pinch points on a day-to-day basis that you've experienced, Mike, in maintaining the best practices that you recommend for others? Everyone's situation is definitely going to be a, a lot different here. Some some people have a dedicated office that they can lock themselves into and, and secure all their documents. Other people don't, so it becomes a bit more of a challenge there. But physical security of printed documents and making sure that anything you you print out at home is is first minimize what you print out at home and and two, shred anything once you're done with it. Just making sure that physically around the house things are secure. But really the the bigger point is is ensuring that all, all of the electronic information that you're storing and transmitting over the internet and your behavior online and within your network is is secure because that's really the bigger vulnerability point for, for most employees. And I, I think the key here would be com- comply with your organization's policies and controls. IT departments generally have enough troubles developing systems that are secure without having employees try to circumvent them. One, you know, very common example that comes up in everyone's or many people's lives anyway, is the use of personal email or, or other personal tools to get try to get work done more efficiently than using corporate systems. Lots of organizations, because they're being stretched or having to ration their VPN access or put in place other measures, which are sometimes uh, difficult for employees to adhere to. I think we all need to resist the temptation to try to go outside of the, the official sort of corporate tools and, and systems that are available to everyone, because that really opens up a huge vulnerability that, that cyber criminals can exploit. 
Jillian, what does your home office or homework setup look like? So I am one of the fortunate ones that we talked about that has the has a dedicated office. I have that and a closed door, which helps significantly. I won the coin toss with my husband who is set up with his home <laughs> office up in our bedroom. So I'm feeling lucky with that. And I have made a shift um, in my own practice. So I used to be one of those dinosaur lawyers, or so we're called, that works with a highlighter and pieces of paper to do my work. And I've, I made the conscious choice when I realized I would be transitioning to a work from home environment that I did not take my paper with me. So I have my extended monitor here and my laptop, and I've been working completely electronically uh, for the last three weeks um, or however long it has been. And uh, it's worked extremely well. And uh, I believe it was Mike mentioned the VPN issue. I'm also feeling very lucky. McCarthy's was very organized and, and saw this transition coming and prepared for it. So we ensured everyone had laptops, including assistants, and also getting extra VPN. So I haven't had any issues at all from a technology perspective transitioning to the work from home policy. So it's it's been quite good. I mean, when, when you mentioned going paperless or, or not having to print stuff out, I did that a while ago because I was traveling for work a bunch for a number of reasons, and it was easier to have everything loaded on an iPad than to print stuff out before I, I went on a trip. And I'm obviously very grateful for that now. I wonder if this is one of those things, Jillian, that you will keep doing once we're back in the office. It's certainly my goal. So as I also am traveling a lot for work and I've, so I've been slowly making that change. The interesting pivot point for me will be hearings. And I like having my brief of authorities and all my tabs and everything done. And, you know, now the courts are all taking a different approach to what we're going to be doing and how open they will be. But as we move towards, as I expect, we'll move towards more electronic hearings. And I know um, our firm is doing a lot of electronic discoveries, et cetera. I'm, I'm hoping that will be an important shift for me. So being able to do the more advocacy piece without pieces of paper. Now, Mike, you're an even more extreme example of someone who didn't have to do all that much adapting from the workflow point of view to moving to working from home all the time, because you've been working from home for a lot of the time uh, leading up to, uh, to this situation, given that you live in a different city than your office is in. How have you noticed, if at all, this situation and the requirement of working from home has changed your day to day? Yeah, I, I think the answer to that is actually quite a bit. So on one hand, I have been working remotely very consistently for quite a number of years now. Uh, you know, I was much better equipped than almost anyone to start working from home during the pandemic. But it, it is noteworthy. And, and I think everyone should give themselves a, a bit of a break during this time to adapt to these challenges, because I am finding remote working during the pandemic more challenging than remote working day to day before it. There, there are a lot of things that are happening to all of us, children being home from school, having to look after other family members, not being able to grocery shop, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on and on. So you take working from home, which can come with its own set of challenges, and you're layering on all these other personal, professional and, and, and other challenges. So it, it is maybe work from home plus is, is kind of the, the, the you know, the, the concept because it, it's definitely not your standard work from home time. Jillian mentioned that we're doing discoveries and mediations and arbitrations and even planning to do trials and appeals remotely in our litigation practice. 
what I've found as I've tried to move my litigation files forward and tried to get discoveries booked remotely and cross-examinations booked by video conference is the limitation is usually somebody else. Even if I'm totally ready to go and I'm all set up to do things from my home office, someone else is going to have childcare obligations that means they won't be able to make the time to participate in a, in a video conference or, or what have you, or someone is going to have a slow home internet or they're going to, or for whatever reason, they're not in the same position that I am. They're not as fortunate as I am to be able to move things as seamlessly. Mike, I'll start with you on this, but as you've worked with other people, clients and other lawyers at our firm and outside our firm, has the fact that everyone else is now working remotely changed your day-to-day experience as a remote working lawyer? I, I definitely agree with your statement that things have slowed down because, again, I'm very well equipped to work from home, but there are so many other people I interact with on a day-to-day basis that are, are just getting up and running. They, are, you know, Their job may not be very well suited to work from home um, or other things. There, there are many, many organizations out there that just don't have the capacity to let everyone log on to their systems at any time they want. So they've had to ration access. I, I know a lot of employees that you know, can only access their corporate network between the hours of 5 p.m. and 5 a.m. So you, 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 know, you definitely introduce a lot of lag into any process when you know your counterparty or your partners you're working with can't respond to you until you know after supper when their kids are down into bed and, and they're working late into the night so i think over time the this will all sort of settle out as everyone gets used to working from home and and finds ways to do their job efficiently and effectively from home but that definitely takes time you can't expect you know everyone in in all circumstances to do that very quickly so it it, it definitely is introducing uh, challenges Jillian, how have other people's work from home habits affected your practice in the last couple of weeks? I, I'm in, a, in, in quite a disruptive situation having two young kids and we don't have any childcare right now. Everything, things are being done at odd hours. And so I'm not sure if it's um, others or myself, I, but it's, it's <laughs> as, as you both have said, it's, it's really being flexible with timing, I think. And most importantly, what I've just what's been heightened for me during this time when I think about working with other people, it's the increased importance of communication and teamwork. It's always important, but I think here it's even more so. So as leaders, I think those of us who who are, you know, the most senior on the team, I think we all have an incumbent role to to ask our team members, hey, how are you doing? And and what's going on? How's your situation? What constraints do you have? And doing it in a really open and safe way so that people can tell you what is happening. They may be caring for younger people or older people, or it may be something like the internet connections, et cetera, but just having an understanding of what your team's uh, constraints are and then finding ways to work around that. Because I think once we know what the constraints are, we're all smart enough. We're, we're very lucky, certainly at our firm, to have big teams and lots of resources so we can find ways around it. So I think once the communication piece is there, then we can get to the, the solving that piece. And the solving that piece, I think, is not as hard as it may sound. Mike, I'll, I'll, I'll end on this with you. Do you think that when this is all over uh, and that things have returned to whatever we consider to be normal, that there will be more Michael Shermans in our firm and others, more people for whom working remotely is the norm and that we will come to accept this as something that's totally legitimate for a lawyer, even in a big firm, even a firm with a big office in Toronto uh, is able to do? 
I, I think it'll definitely push everyone in that direction a bit. For one, organizations around the world are deploying remote working technologies and policies and processes at a speed that's never been seen before. So I think a lot more employees will be empowered and equipped to work from home. And, and also a lot more employees will have experience and, you know, and, and found a way to work effectively from home. So I think it will definitely push us in, in that direction, which is great. How far it'll go, I guess that probably depends, you know, how, how long this, this situation continues with the coronavirus. You know, the longer people do it and the more comfortable we get with it, I, I assume it'll gain more and more uh, foothold. Mike, Jillian, thank you both for your time. I'll let you get back to your, uh, to your jobs and more importantly, to your kids. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Adam. Take care. Nice chatting with you. Bye-bye. Jillian Kerr is a partner in McCarthy Tatro's litigation group in Toronto, and Mike Sherman is an associate in McCarthy Tatro's technology law group in Toronto, slash Saskatoon. This has been Episode 10 of Law in the Time of COVID-19. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and tell your friends to do the same. We also hope you'll send us your suggestions for future episodes. We want to talk about what you want to hear about. You can reach me on Twitter at, at Adam Goldenberg or by email at agoldenberg at mccarthy.ca. Pour plus de contenu de McCarthy Tetro, ne manquez pas notre balado, Le droit au temps de la COVID-19, animé par ma collègue Christelle Chevalier. This episode was produced by Samantha Chown, Catherine Cleon, Chloe Thomas, and Pippa Leslie. Our researchers are Laura Alford, Brittany Serqua, Yonita Kukio, Pippa Leslie, Solomon McKenzie, and Chris Pushkash. Special thanks to Lara Nathans, Trevor Lawson, Judith McKay, Elizabeth Burks, Ali Adams, Tommy Barbieri, Kathleen Hogan, Taryn Hunter, Andrea Watson, Matilda Kramertz, Miriam Veya, and the entire team here at McCarthy Tatro. Not literally here, of course, but you know what I mean. Make sure you check out our firm's COVID-19 hub, which you can reach from the main page of our website at www.mccarthy.ca. This is Law in the Time of COVID-19. I'm Adam Goldenberg. Thanks for listening, and please wash your hands. <laughs>